Baptist Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by the sermons, devotional readings, and teachings that we put out as an encouragement and strength for daily living as we seek to glorify the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, because all things are done for our good and His glory. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians five. So the last couple of weeks we've we've looked at uh, three brief imperatives, three brief commands, and tonight we'll kind of begin this series of exhortations, five in a series in verses nineteen through twenty-two, and the first two of the five, which is in nineteen and twenty, are in the negative sense and the last three being in the positive sense, but we're going to deal primarily with verse 19, but let's go ahead and read verses 12 through, go ahead and read through 22. Verse 12, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from from every form of evil. All right, let's pray together and we'll get started. Father, we're thankful to be here tonight, thankful to be with your people, and God, we're thankful for your word. And so God, as we gather around your word, we pray that you would teach us tonight, that you would help us to see more of Christ and help us to be more like Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would bless uh, your word, the preaching of your word, and that I could do it with clarity. And I pray that it would be received and applied. And God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, for it's in His name we pray. Amen. All right, so verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. That's what we're dealing with tonight. So we know that our God is a God in three persons. We've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No doubt we don't comprehend, um, at least I can. If you can, you may be the only one. They can comprehend uh, the Trinitarian nature of God, the triune God. And so, hard to wrap our mind around God being in three persons. But one of the ways in which we're better able to distinguish among the persons of the Godhead is to look at their functions. And so we know that each person of the Godhead is fully God, all containing everything that defines godness. And we can also look at the Son of God, the eternal Word, took on flesh, dwelt among us, crucified on behalf of sinners, dwelt among us, um, tasted death, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and He'd done that in a physical body. And so God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, did not do what the, God the Son done, right? And so, each, each person of the Godhead has different roles. And at times, those roles kind of overlap. We know that. 
But each one has a specific, specific role. And for example, the forgiven and redeemed sinner <clears throat> is said to, be, said to have believed upon the Son of God. Generally speaking, we're called to pray to God the Father. In the, in the model prayer that Jesus gave, it's our Father who art in heaven, right? Doesn't mean we don't pray to the others. But generally speaking, called to pray to the Father in the name of the Son Jesus, right? In the name of Jesus. And, and then we know throughout Scripture, sin is put to death by the Spirit for the believer, in the believer. And so tonight we're going to continue on in these exhortations that Paul's given to the church at Thessalonica. And he issues this, this command, this imperative, which addresses our relationship to the Holy Spirit. And he says, do not quench the Spirit. And so our task tonight is going to be to try to try our best to, to open up what this, <clears throat> this command, this, this warning means in the, in the context that it's given, that we might know what the Holy Spirit's role is in the life of the believer. And so we know Paul speaking to believers. It's obvious he's speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to unbelievers. And so quenching the Spirit is something that believers can do uh, in how they relate to the Holy Spirit. Spirit indwells the believer, so the believer can quench the Spirit. Now, we know that unbelievers can resist the Spirit, so he, can, <clears throat> he convicts the conscience, but they cannot, in an unregenerate state, quench the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the first thing that we need to, to look at is to define what does this word quench mean? And so to define quench, quench given in this text, it's going to help us kind of pinpoint um, how we relate to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so this Greek word, uh, quench, sabinami, sabinami probably, I guess is how you would say it in the Greek. It's used eight times in the New Testament. And so one of those times is here in our text. But subenemy means to quench or to extinguish as one does to a light or a fire. And so figuratively, as it's used in our text, it means to, means to dampen, to stifle, to hinder, to repress, uh, to prevent the Spirit from exerting His effect or performing His work in the believer. And so We've got one, one example here in, in 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's look at the others. Matthew 12.20, speaking of how, speaking of our Lord's gentle treatment with the weak and the weary, says Matthew 12.20 says this, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. So that quench again, same word, subenemy. And so in the sense of that text, it means that the Lord's not going to put out this flickering flame, this, this weary, this overwhelmed believer. The Lord's not going, to, he's not going to put that out. He's not going to extinguish that, even though they're in a state of weakness. And then we got another text, Matthew 25, 8. You all know 25, 8, speaking of the parable of the, of the wise and foolish virgins. But in 25, verse 8, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. That word going out, same Greek word, subenemy. And so this, <clears throat> this 
Same thing, if you can picture a, a lamp of some sort running out of oil, running out of fuel, and so it's just barely flickering, kind of going in and out. But there's another text. If you want to go ahead and flip, go ahead and flip in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. So we've looked at two texts in Matthew. In Mark, there are three three uses of the Word, and those uses of the Word, you're only going to see if you're using the King James Version or if you're using the New American Standard. And the reason being is verses 44, 46, and 48 all say the same thing. And so in the, <clears throat> the older manuscripts, the older manuscripts did not have what verse 48 says because verse 48 was the same thing you would see in verse 46 and verse 44. And so I'm going to read you from what the ESV says, okay? ESV, verse 42. Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 48 says this. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter, enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And then verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now again, if you're using the New American Standard or you're using the King James, you'll probably see verses 44 and 46 in parentheses. And if you're using the SV, NIV, or something like me, you may see parentheses, but you may see that it's just not there. But you could take verses 48 and put in their place because they say the same exact thing. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so Jesus <clears throat> is giving this stern warning. He's, he's dealing with how to radically remove, get rid of, deal with remaining sin. And he says, Three times, if you're reading from the King James, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so Jesus is, is emphasizing the fact that this fire, this eternal punishment, is something that will not be extinguished, it will not be put out, it will not be quenched. And so He's talking about it continually burning on and on, so the fire is not quenched. Now Ephesians 6.16 talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. But in verse 16, Paul says this, he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish, subinami, all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so we saw two in Matthew, we see four or three examples in Mark, Two of yours may be not there. But then we see another example in Ephesians 6.16. And so Paul speaking here, he's talking about the enemy, how the enemy seeks to harm us, seeks to cripple us and 
try to make us ineffective for the kingdom of God. And he's shooting these fiery darts at us, meant to, you know, uh, hit the conscience, all that kind of thing, cripple us spiritually is what he's trying to do. And Paul is saying, by faith, we continue to lay hold of Christ. We're able to extinguish, to quench, subinimize those fiery darts that are being thrown at the believer. Let's look at another text, Hebrews 11.34. This is the last one, Hebrews 11.34. Talking about the Old Testament examples. You know, chapter 11, <clears throat> some would call it the Faith Hall of Fame. But verse 34 says, Quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So this word quench, subinamai. And so if we're thinking back to the Old Testament examples, <clears throat> we can remember in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, whose faith in the one true God caused King Nebuchadnezzar, what, throw them into a furnace? And get thrown in the furnace, they're not burned, their clothings didn't even, says it didn't even have the smell of smoke. And so in that sense, <clears throat> they, they, as Hebrews 11.34 put it, quenched the power of the fire, right? So they extinguished the power of the fire. Now we know it was, the Lord was with them, uh, the Christ, and so no harm to them. But anyhow, we see this word quench, extinguish, seven different examples in the New Testament. And so it's this same Greek word that we see in our text tonight, Matthew 5.19. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a picture of what quench means. Try to help us, <clears throat> help us to identify how we relate to the Holy Spirit, how we as a believer can quench the Holy Spirit. And so on a basic level, <clears throat> we find this, uh, these texts uh, kind of presented with, with fire. And so, extinguishing the fire, that kind of thing is what we see. And so how does this relate to the Holy Spirit? And so, <clears throat> what's the relationship between the Holy Spirit and fire? That's what we need to look at next. And so John, John the Baptist rather, in Matthew 3.11 says this, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And he says this, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so here we see John speaking of the baptism of the Spirit. And we notice that John designates this baptism of the Spirit as being a baptism with fire. Okay? So we're relating the Holy Spirit with fire. Alright, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Luke is going to quote, <clears throat> he's quoting our Lord and speaks of the fulfillment of what John's prophecy was there in Matthew 3.11. Acts 1.5 says this, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, and so we look at Pentecost, where all these events t took place, baptism of the Holy Spirit. We know that a rushing wind came through, there was tongues of fire, gospel being proclaimed to the multitude, 
All these gathered Jews from all the known world miraculously understood the message of the gospel in their own native tongue. And so we see these examples clearly associated with the work of the Spirit, work of the Holy Spirit, and with fire. And so um, we don't we don't really see this recurring um, recurring work of the Spirit concerning fiery tongues. But we find the baptism of the Holy Spirit directly gift directly related to the gifting of each individual believer in the edification of the body, edification of His church. So we'll get into that. So we see Holy Spirit and fire, Matthew three, Acts one. But go ahead and flip to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 7. So we've seen the baptism of the Holy Spirit with fire. Fiery tongues with this Holy Spirit in Acts. And here we're going to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the gifting of His his church. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean? But that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so here we find resurrection, ascension of Christ. Christ gifts His people. He gifts His people through His Holy Spirit to serve in different capacities, various capacities within the church until we all come to verse 13 where He says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So having all that in mind, I think we can kind of draw out a true meaning of what quenching the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians means. And so in light of what all we've gone over, what Paul means is this. Do not be the cause of extinguishing, of putting out, quenching the gifts of the Spirit which Christ deposited in every believer in you or in others for the sake of His church. And so he's saying, don't render ineffective what the Spirit's gifted gifted you with. 
because it's for the building up of the church. Do not put out that flame. Okay? We could go to 1 Timothy where, where Paul says to fan into flame the gift that, that he's been given, right? And so we see the Spirit always in comparison to like a fire, right? It's something that can be fanned into flame or it can be, it can be quenched, it can be uh, died down, right? And so to quench the Spirit is not to literally extinguish the Spirit Himself. That's impossible for the believer. You're sealed with Him. But it's rather to extinguish what the Spirit has wrought in you, what the Spirit has gifted you with. And that has been to serve Christ, to serve His church, to serve His body. That's what this quenching of the Spirit is talking about. And so, uh, it can be presumed that Christians can, ser- can serve to render themselves ineffective in the service of Christ and His kingdom. Okay? And so Paul is cautioning us, he's cautioning the Thessalonians about doing that. About rendering themselves ineffective for the kingdom of God. And so we're responsible for taking care of that. Exercising, utilizing whatever God has deposited in us supernaturally by His Spirit, right? And so in other words, we are involved. We're involved in the working out of our salvation. That's what we're involved in. Okay? In the process of sanctification, we have a responsibility within that. It was a monergistic work when you were saved, but in, your, in the sanctification process, it's synergistic. Okay? That means us working with God. And so Paul is saying, do not, by inaction, do not quench the Spirit. And so we can actually quench the Spirit in that sense. And so, for, for example, remember the parable of the talents that Jesus gave. Jesus gave some talents and they had the responsibility to invest it, right? To make the most of it for the Master, right? And so each of us has been given a gift. You've been given a talent of some sort in a sense to edify the body of Christ, to serve the risen Christ, to serve the Lord. And so let's consider some of the ways that we can quench the Spirit. I mean, if we're to benefit from what Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the Spirit. We've got to ask ourselves, what, in what specific ways can we quench the Spirit? How can we hinder the usefulness of ourselves for the kingdom of God. And so first, pretty basic, if we're not using the gifts, exercising the gifts, then we can think safely presume that we're quenching the Spirit. Every Every single Christian being indwelt, being gifted by the Holy Spirit of God, has been suited to serve for the purpose of edifying the church, for edifying the body. And so we saw that in Ephesians 4, didn't we? Every part doing its share causes the body to what? To grow. Every part doing its share causes the body to grow. Let me read it again. Ephesians 4.16 From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each one of us in this room has been gifted by the Spirit of God to do something. You've been gifted by the Spirit of God to do something for the edification of the body of Christ. But sadly, we can get distracted by things, can't we? We get caught up in the things of the world. We get caught up in work, careers, whatever, affairs of everyday life. It doesn't mean they're sinful things in and of themselves, but they can become an idol, you could say. They can be given preeminence, you could say. And that can actually hold you down. That can quench the fire which the Spirit has ignited in you. Ignited in us. And so listen again. Are you a Christian? Well, then it's not a matter of whether you're gifted or not. You are. In some sense, you've been given a gift. And so the the question is begged, in what specific ways are you using what God has deposited in you for the building up of the church? Everybody individually has a gift. And your gift is not primarily for your benefit. Understand, the gift that you've been given is not for you. The gift that you've been given is for the benefit of the body of Christ. That's what you've been given the gift for. So not exercising your gift is what? We can logically deduce that it is quenching the Spirit. The Spirit has gifted you in some shape, form, or fashion for the edification of the church. And if you're not exercising that gift, then you're wasting it, therefore quenching the Spirit. So, not exercising our gift, not using the gift. But we can also quench the Spirit by grieving the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 29-32 says this, It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so we not only quench the Spirit when we don't exercise our gift to the the building up of the church, but on the other side of the spectrum, on the other end, we quench the Spirit when we tear down, when we destroy His church by creating contention, by being divisive in the body. And so in one vein, we positively, we fail to positively do what we ought to do. In the other vein, we negatively we negatively do what we ought not to do. Okay? And so both of those quench the Spirit of God. Both quench, quench the Spirit. They're not building up or tearing down. Both are extinguishers. And so we grieve the Spirit of God. And so we can quench by not exercising gifts. We can quench by grieving the Spirit, by tearing down, not building up. And then we can quench the Spirit by resisting the conviction of the Spirit. 
and we continue on in sin. And so there's times <clears throat> that uh, the Spirit might convict you of something. He might say you ought not be doing that, right? You've had a heavy heart about something. You know that this something is wrong. It's the Spirit pressing on you about something. And you can resist that. You can, you can suppress that. You can push that down. And that's sinning. That is quenching the Spirit. Because it is a loving God. It is the Holy Spirit lovingly bringing sin upon us, convicting us of sin. And when we don't, we don't obey obediently. When we're not obeying, we're hardening ourselves. What are you doing? You're rendering yourself useless for the kingdom of God. And therefore, quenching the Holy Spirit. Now in Acts 7, Acts 7.51 says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And we know there it's talking about the Jews that, <clears throat> again, he says uncircumcised in heart. We know he's talking about unbelieving Jews here. But we see that the text says you always resist the Holy Spirit. And so there's resistance to the Spirit. That we, Another way we can quench the Spirit. But we can also quench the Spirit by failing to avail ourselves to the means of grace. Now what are these means? Spirit uses <clears throat> means to convict, to guide, to empower, to sanctify, to grow. And as I was studying over this, I read a little <clears throat> uh, a homily from the pulpit commentary. And this homily was over Leviticus 6, verses 12 and 13 talking about the priest. Now let me read you Leviticus 6, and then I'll read you what this homily has to say. But this homily dealt with the heading of quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Let me read you Leviticus 6, 12 and 13. It says this, The fire on the altar shall be kept burning, shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning. And he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Now let me read you what the pulpit commentary says about this. It says, The fire of the burnt offering was to be carefully preserved so that it should never go out. That's, that's a little long, but hang with me, it's good says this necessitated a regular removal of the ashes to clean to the clean place selected for the reception without the camp these ashes represented what would not ascend in the fire and were a fitting symbol of the dross and corruption which attaches to all human services everything which which would prevent the fire from burning was to be removed now we've already seen that the fire of the altar symbolizes the holy spirit it is what came from God in the first in instance and what renders the sacrifice acceptable. Hence the lesson about the perpetuation of the 
of the altar fire is to remove everything which would hinder or would quench the tree action of the Spirit within us. The purer we are to be, or the purer we try to be, the freer will the movements of the Holy Ghost be within us. On the other hand, negligence in life must interrupt the spiritual action. Let us diligently use every means, like the priest laying on the wood, clearing away the ashes from the altar. And the Holy Spirit as a fire within us will make us ardent and enthusiastic in the divine life. I don't know about y'all, but that's a good picture for me. That's a good picture. This, the altar symbolizing the fire, and it was to never go out, and it was to be cleaned out, that it might not be quenched, that it not, might not be, that it might not die down, that it would continually grow, that it would, it would flame up, right? And so the pulpit commentary is trying to say that, listen, the Holy Spirit in the same way must, must be carefully preserved, that He never go out. That He not be extinguished. That He not be quenched. Because if we're careless in the means of grace, if we're careless in our gathering with the people of God regularly, if we neglect our devotional and prayer lives, then no doubt we disconnect ourselves from the fuel of the Holy Spirit. We disconnect ourselves from what fuels the burning of the Holy Ghost within us. You understand? If you're going to fan into flame what God has, has given you, what God has gifted you with, what <clears throat> the Spirit that indwells you, if you're going to fan that into flame, you better use the means of grace that God has, get, has given. And that means gathering with the people of God, being in His Word, devoting yourselves to prayer, all those different kinds of things that keep this fire burning. You see in Galatians, Paul calls us to walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me read you the text. Galatians 5.17 For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see, one can only walk in the Spirit by being in a place of the Spirit's blessings. To avail ourselves to the means of grace. To, keep the, to fuel the flame is essentially what, what we're trying to get at here. To walk in the Spirit, you've got to fuel the flame. Because we live in a place, we live in a world, and we are sinful enough that we will let it go out. We will let it die. We will not exercise the gifts that we've been given. And therefore, we will quench the Spirit. So we've got <clears> to <throat> use what God has given us. But another way that we can quench the Spirit is when we hinder others from using their gifts. We might despise somebody. We might discourage somebody. Instead of encouraging somebody, and instead of fanning into flame the gift that somebody has, you can discourage somebody and not. You can quench the Spirit in that sense. And so it's just like when you... All of us have grilled out before, right? And we put, we put a big pile of charcoal. And when you light that pile of charcoal, and if you left it tight, 
thing would burn a long time, wouldn't it? would burn a long time. But when you spread that out, now we spread it out to, to spread out the surface area of cooking, right? When you spread that out, those, those coals, those, <clears throat> that charcoal goes out a little quicker, right? So it is with us. We need to be together. We need to be encouraged by one another. We need to fl- fan into flame what's within each one of us that we might not quench the Spirit. And then there's another one. We quench the Spirit when we despise prophecies, but we're going to deal with that one next week. But what do we do when we've quenched the Spirit? I mean, is there a fix? Is there a remedy for quenching the Spirit? Yeah, it's called the Gospel. Christ can reignite the flame. It can be it can be weak, right? It can be a smoldering wick. Jesus said He won't despise that. It can be reignited and it's reignited by Christ. And so what do you do? Well, first you recognize that you're utterly incapable to live and walk in God's way without Christ. Without Jesus. You can't do it. At first you've got to recognize that. And secondly, Brother Jimmy's been preaching on it. You've got to rejoice in the mercy of God. Listen, here's the thing, believer. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the Spirit. It's not like you can just say, Spirit, get out of me. You're sealed with Him. You're forever the Lord's. Listen to what Ephesians 1.13 says. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's what you have. You've been baptized with fire. But it's the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so you rejoice in the mercy of God upon you. Rejoice in that. And then you look to God's Son. You look to Christ. I'm going to leave you with this text. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. Listen to this. It says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Listen, just as that priesthood in the Old Testament was to take that altar and clean the ashes out, that that flame might not die, so are you as the priesthood of believers are to get rid of whatever might cause it to die, whatever might bring the flame down. You're supposed to get rid of that. Why? Because we're offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And it's through who? Jesus Christ. Through Jesus. So listen. We're called to not quench the Spirit. Don't extinguish the Spirit. It's being implied that that's already happening there in Thessalonica. So it can be easily applied that we're 
we're doing the same thing. Listen, we've got to take steps to not do that. We're commanded not to quench the Spirit of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for each individual in this room. God, I pray that the giftings of each person in this room would be fueled the glory of your great name. I pray, God, that we could be the the body of the church that you've called us to be. God, that we wouldn't neglect the means of grace that you've given us to, to keep the fire going. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. God, help us to see that our time is limited. That this life is short and this life is a vapor. God, help us to not waste our lives. Help us to bring glory to you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you all.